a Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. Great to have you with us. This is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care, available at Repco in Australia and New Zealand and other stores. Will Dale, was that a good read? Did I nail that or did I get a bit earnest? Uh, I think it was right. I want to go buy some Bowden's own products, so I think it works. Uh, I tell you what, I recently gave their Mr. Black a go. I've got a black car. Great stuff. Sensational. Yeah, right. You know how you get the – look, we're going off into product land straight away here, but you know how with when you've got a car that's got the trims and they're faded? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. sensational. Anyway, Mr. Black, get on board. It's good stuff with Bowden's own premium car care. This episode is one of our popular apps this year where we talk about the upcoming track event round of the Repco Supercars Championship. And because it's this time of year – We've got our Gold Coast on because it's the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500, which is a perfect opportunity for you and I to talk surface paradise, Gold Coast racing history from basically when the street circuit debuted with IndyCars in 1991. Of course, supercars, V8s, Group A, 5-litre, whatever they were there at the period, came along in the 90s as well. But when you think about it, the funny thing is as we go to this next round of the championship, we're fighting for a championship, Brody Kostecki, Shane Van Gisbergen. It's very much a supercars round. It's under Motorsport Australia, formerly CAMS. It's completely different to what it was when it started in 1991, which was a round of the PPG, IndyCar World Series, as I think it might have been called there. I don't even have been called the Kart World Series. I reckon the IndyCar rebrand didn't happen. Next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you might be right. But they were called IndyCars yeah. as, as generic terms, but... Remember, though, that there was a massive poo fight leading up to that event where drivers were threatened with being banned from FISA slash FIA um, competition if they competed at this event. How, how things have changed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, FISA, FIA thought it was a massive overstep of CART to go outside the bounds of North America where, like, they didn't mind them doing street races and road races in their home country, on their home continent in the US and Canada. But uh, heading out over over the Pacific was heading out into the FIA territory, and they said, "Oh, I know about this. I don't. I don't think you guys should be doing that." And um, there was all sorts of political blustering going on. Like the FIA um, threatened, well, threatened is probably the wrong word, but suggested they might even run their own IndyCar style oval <laughs> racing series. Um, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I think they would have um, run out of venues to pretty quickly to be doing that. But yeah, hence, hence. Hence the unusual support categories for a cool circuit support race. Categories, Very cool though. support categories. I mean, the whole idea of having um, an American racing category leading the bill in IndyCar, and then happening to ha- happening to have ready-made American-style racing categories that are native in Australia with NASCAR and OSCAR to fill the bill, ideal. And was at that point though that Bob Jane's circus was out under its own sanctioning body of OSCAR? And a departed cams. I guess it must have. It would have been around that, that time. Might have been the year course, after, but I don't yeah. think Bob was too. I don't think, I think he, he would have. <laughs> he loved come to fight at with me cams. cams. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the Gold Coast was around of the early part of the IndyCar Championship. The first one, nineteen ninety one, won by John Andretti driving the Pennzoil car, which that car is around. I've seen mm. it in, um, not physically with my own eyes, but it is in the US. It's been um, at various car displays and things over the journey. It is the car. That mm. John Andretti drove to victory, and a bit of a surprise result there. And of course, he'd been to Australia before, 
and a race with Gary Rogers at Bathurst famously when he turned up with the on crutches with the busted leg and yes. Gary didn't know. <laughs> I think Gary had aimed for Mario and ended up with John, so he got an Andretti. That Andretti, the, yeah. The deal. Um, and I think John had raced Speedway out here as well. Yeah, and I do remember that um, only because this is on one of the seven, no, the classic Australian motorsport DVDs with some old Thunderdome racing that he actually went to the Thunderdome the weekend before because he, yes. his Mike Raymond grabbed him in the commentary box and did a little bit in the uh, the NASCAR. But when you think back to the original Gold Coast track, oh, mate, those chicanes <laughs> were so slow and tight uh. um, and they had sand, gravel in between them, like insane, like a yeah. whole other world. It wasn't until I think Nigel Mansell turned up when um, he did his big switch from F1 to IndyCar for 93, looked at everything and went, what are you all doing? What is this all about? And after that, some of the chicanes got opened up, like the um, the original first chicane on the back side of the circuit. Instead of having a concrete wall lining it all around the inside, they opened that right up. And same with the really fast beach chicane, they opened that right up and didn't that have caused some issues? Just a little over the journey. There's been a bit happen at that place. Um, I love those early years of NASCAR, Oscar. Charlie O'Brien tells a great story on the pod <laughs> uh, for last year, year before, I can't remember now. I think last year. Last year where he put Greg Hansford in his other car and, and in those days there'd be multiple races for Oscar NASCAR but it was the last race that was the points-paying Money and prize paying money paying race. race. I'll get the order right. It was all about the cash. And by the <laughs> way, there was a few points. Uh, and and in the end, Greg driving one of his cars won it and he sort of went, oh, hang on a minute, um, <laughs> cash. So um, that was a good story. But um, there was, I mean, wild and wild. I mean, there were celebrity races in the early years with various like types of cars. Pro-Am race as well. well so pro-am it wasn't, at the early wasn't just so they'd have, oh, I don't even know if you'd call it Pro-Am because it was like Gold Coast business people slash – Craig Denyer was one of the Pete one of the Am drivers. In one. Yeah, 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 I feel like he was with Pete Gagan. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, um, and like all the and the mixture of celebrities. It was half race car drivers, half genu- half like like um, pop culture celebrities. Like Tina Arena, I think was in that field. Um, <laughs> How's Joe your Bailey? memory going? Yeah, this right. is impressive. Yeah, I loved the um, advertising campaigns at the time for those early. Gold Coast races, um, they had great slogans, they had great imagery, really, like Thunder in Paradise, I think, was one of them one year. And um, They used to do a travelling road show as well. They took one of the old, like, March indie cars that the organisers had and took it around Australia to help promote the race. Yeah. It, it, it really was at that time that IndyCar racing, of course, the Mansell era of 93 yeah. blew it all apart. It it absolutely rocked the socks, and that's why the FIA were nervous. Mm. FISA, FIA, same thing, um, at what IndyCar could be and actually became after that because 93 was when Mansell came along, one on – was it debut? First, yep. first time there. Yep. Um, and first time – because he was the – and the great thing was reigning Formula One champ left – Mm. And then won the IndyCar Championship that year before Prost had wrapped up the Formula One. So so he held both titles for a week, which is just unbelievable stuff. But when you talk about the Gold Coast event now, I mean, it's very different. And Mm. people still call it Indy. Isn't it amazing how the the hold of whether it's we still call the Adelaide event Clipsal? I mean, it's just the power of a brand and a name. And even later on, once there was the war in America and Cart and the Indy Motor Speedway split Tony George and, and Cart, they were still allowed to call it the Indy, Gold Coast Indy race here because it wasn't covered. Well, if, as long as it wasn't in 
the United States it wasn't could, covered by could the still whole, call it indie, right? Even though the cars weren't the cars that competed um, as indie cars or at the Indy Five Hundred or the IRL or until or the last like time they came out. Yeah, things had changed by uh, <laughs> by that stage. Yes. It all came full circle, but. Um, Obviously, the thing with the indie event for so many years was the parties, how crazy and wild it got. It was really um, schoolies for adults for the best part of 15, 20 years. So I've heard. I was never there. You never went. I've never been to a Gold Coast Indie or 500 or 600 or don't the Gold Coast this. event. Don't admit this. I haven't. We have to get you to one. Seriously. Seriously. You've missed the glory days. I mean, and I'm not just talking about the balconies and all the, the hijinks and stuff, but the the amount of people was out of control. I remember mm. vividly, uh, very early two thousands, the Marriott Hotel. There's a as you walk into that lobby area, it would be packed, and you never know who you would see. Yeah, right. Like Alonso Junior just wandering through there, <laughs> going to get his key for his room. Yeah. Um, I rem- as you walk in there, I can still picture it. If you walk in to your right, there's I don't even know what's in that area of the the hotel now, but it was a it turned into a massive bar. Yeah, during right. that race week, and it was chockers. You could barely ever get in. It was it was out of control. It was just unbelievable. But this track and that event just put Australia on the map for North American racing because we'd had, by that stage, Formula One had turned up in 85, the World Motorcycle Grand Prix, what, 89? 89, yeah. And by 91 when the Gold Coast came and gone Eastern Creek, yeah. um, IndyCar comes along for 91, so we've got all the bit the big stuff. Like it's all finally here in that period of five or six years where we went from none of it to <laughs> all of it. And the whole point of it was Queensland government funded get Americans to come to the Gold Coast, come to Australia, come to Queensland and spend their tourism dollars. It was a huge thing for them for all that period of time, the whole international promotion of it. That was the whole point. Mm. And it worked. It totally yeah. worked. I mean, I still speak to some people in the States who, through our, our work with Indy Sleuth and some of the old cars and things who were involved in the cart days and they all longed to to come back because they used to love it so much. There was no one who hated the trip to Australia. There was other no. tracks and other calendars and uh, countries on the calendar that they weren't that thrilled to have to go to, but um, they could have their arm twisted to have to do the, the Australian trip no matter how long that flight um, yes. in the end was. But... It took until 94 for V8 Touring Cars to to appear there for the first time, non-championship stuff. Well, en masse because they'd kind of snuck in the back door a couple of years earlier as part of of the ongoing CAMS categories can't race there. It had kind of softened by 92, but there was still no formal, like Touring Cars weren't racing there. Um, But there was... Thunder Sports, which was mm. essentially sports sedans yeah. and a few other things, and those other things were Group A touring cars. So the three B and H BMWs of Tony Longhurst, Alan Jones, Paul Morris. I think Kevin Waldock had his Sierra. Sierra. Was there. Yeah. A few of the Commodores, a couple of privateer VL Commodores in among it all too, because it was kind of the licorice all sorts. Yeah, whatever, whatever, however, category. But you're right. Yeah, so touring cars had run there, but not as touring cars. Yes, as a as a category. So. 94, I think it was the Courier Mail 100 yes. from my memory. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember watching the Saturday race, but John Bauer became the guru of mm. gurus there because he won the first two races, I think. He he swept in 94. both 94 and I think he swept 96 as and well. And he did, yeah, but there was no V8s there in 95. No. It took until they really got Tiger up and rolling to get everyone on the same page to get back for, for 96. So in 95, the Super Tourers actually mm. ran there and then they stayed there for 96 
But then after 96, V8 Supercars as a brand was born and it became V8 Supercars, the primary um, support category product to yes. what by then was Champ Car after the not being able to call it IndyCar anymore. There's a whole other podcast in that, yes. by the way. Um, and for so many years we had that scenario on the Gold Coast with the V8 stuff of – Remember that the event was usually from 91 to 97, it was in sort of March. Yeah. But for 98, there was a calendar swap and it went to October. So that obviously put it in a unique position. So the V8 Bathurst was pushed back to – was in November because it couldn't be on October like it had been in 97. So they mm. just had to get a bit of calendar separation between the two. But then you had this scenario where teams were not trying. Yeah. Teams just legitimately ran old cars um, – Parked up, well, didn't want to go. Well, I was going to say in some cases run, they just, just turned up just to tick the box. Well, did a deal. Was it ninety nine that the the Gibson Motorsport basically didn't go? They just no, they didn't put the wins colours on John Faulkner's cars and well, popped well, Richo in. Well, Faulkner already had a win. He got a win right. deal through Gary Dumbrell because Gibson didn't want to run two cars at the endurance races. Right. Okay. But funnily enough, they ended up running the challenge recruitment car anyway for the two David Parsons. But yeah, you're right. For the Gold Coast, they put. Uh, they parked Murph and Richo's cars completely. Mm. Uh, they were backing John Faulkner to be the second wins car for Bathurst and the Enduros, still run by JFR, mm. but they put Stephen Richards in Beth, yeah, J- John's spare VS, um, with wins on it to tick the box for wins. So you had all these scenarios with old cars. The new cars were being kept at home for Bathurst because they didn't want to wall them and Which teams did wall them. Very like John Bow did that one year. Garth Tanner did it another year. Yeah. Um, was it the year that they won Bathurst Tanner or maybe it was the year before? But uh, it was the it was that year. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, and then you had a scenario. Um, it was getting silly. It was actually getting silly because Glenn Seaton didn't want to do it because he had his car shunted in '97. Mm. So he put Crompton in one of their old cars for 98. And he and got course, shunted as well. And, of course, well, and it broke the Watts link when he was leading. So he's got the shit still about <laughs> that 25 years on because you know the worst part? Larko, Larko won. won. <laughs> he, and that was Larko's 98 weekend of bliss where he had never won a V8 race before and then won two in two days. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. So there were some memorable non-championship Gold Coast V8 memories, but there's nothing that's... There's nothing that really stands out to me above some crashes and the fact that blokes didn't try or they ran old cars or they just kind of didn't really want to be there given Bathurst was three, four-odd weeks away. Well, that's it. It presents a funny scenario that you go from a year of watching all these VT and well, VT Commodores and AU Falcons running around, and all of a sudden, like it's <laughs> it's it's retro round. They're they're all back in v, VSs and ELs. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a good like, way to put it. Like Paul Radisich got his first wins in a V8 supercar in, in the what, EL in the EL in '99. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, they parked the AUs. Um, once they became around to the championship, that stuff obviously went away. So for 2002, mm. that was 
the big element. But previously in 01, um, I haven't talked to them about it publicly, but uh, and it's before my time being connected to them from a PR sense, but Kmart in 01, they, they, they ran around at the back and kept on having issues and had to pit all the time because just didn't want to have their cars smashed. I mean, fair. Which totally was understandable, but it just, it just got to the point where if you're going to go, you've got to do it properly. So, And if you think about it too, looking back, when V8s became a championship round, which was 2002, the V8 supercar rise was well up and rolling but if you look at what was cart at the time it was about to seriously implode oh yes so it was one was really on the rise the other thing was dropping the other way and that was there was a big push at that point that at the very least to get equal billing between the two categories which in a way eventually happened where supercars became the final race on sunday mm. as opposed to the indy car race and then eventually they got their own pit lane set up and there was one year though i think it was the first year that they got that separate pit lane it was mm. an 04 i think from memory that um they realized that the the boxes for the pit boxes were so small that they weren't going to be able to do compulsory pit stops safely. Yep. So they had to have a non-pit stop weekend of sprint races. <laughs> so someone didn't get their um, their tape measure out that day to, to yeah. measure up a, a supercar length versus a pit box plus how much extra you need either side. I'll tell you what, though, it's probably just as well because I reckon if there'd been compulsory pit stops in the middle of that weekend, maybe the 04 races wouldn't have produced that... Um, how would you put it? Spectacular combustion between Ambr- Marcus Ambrose and the Kmart racing team. I was there. I was right among mm. it. Um, yeah, he brake tested um, across the line. Absolutely, 100% he did. And he, and he knew he did too. Well, the data showed he did. Totally did. Yeah, <laughs> Everything if you, if showed he did. If you've ever seen the in-car vision, um, he had the irrits that Rick Kelly, who had – I mean, this is at that period of that – 2004 – that era was awesome for V8 supercars. Mm. There was niggle and shit going on everywhere between the two camps, mm. and I mean red and blue. Um, and that was a standout one because Rick Kelly had tapped Russell Ingle into a spin at the first chicane, racing incident, but got penalised. Went back out, what just behind or just in front of of Marcus? Yeah, it must have been just behind. And, and I think he just, he just followed him. The whole he just time. followed him. Home. Yeah. He never tried to pass him or hit him, but Marcus was irritated and jumped on the brake after the race and uh, Murph went sailing past who was second in the race but third on the road. and But at the time, I don't think anyone really saw that. No. It was the next day. Well, well after that, there was a, a blue in the pits because Marcus stormed down and gave Rick a gobful of, uh, and said he would stick him in the fence if he ever did it again. I was there. I heard it. Uh, he denied it, but he, he absolutely said it because I, I heard it. <laughs> I was right there. If you look at the tape, I'm I'm there, white Holden Motorsport shirt. Uh, and um, but that everyone remembers the Murph and Marcus press conference, which was but that was the next day. Yeah. So that actually festered along into to that the next day, which when Murph became the interviewer and uh, Marcus became the interviewee <laughs> without actually trying, which was all quite um, quite hilarious stuff. But. Um, the V8 supercar rise there, and if you looked at the, the Champ Car product, I mean, Cart was bankrupt mm. at the end of 2003 where they'd spent all the money, the big teams had left to go to the Indy Racing League, the manufacturers had gone, became a control Cosworth engine category in 03, and outside of Forsyth with Paul Tracy and Newman Haas, 
it was a bit of what a ragtag bunch yeah. of teams and stuff spend money just to stay there. And of course it all collapsed at the end of what oh three, start of oh four. Um Kevin Kalkoven and Jerry Forsyth with Paul Genalozzi tipped in to save it and to keep it going and rebranded it Champ Car as, a, as the business and it pressed on for a while. And, um, I mean, Gold Coast was still a jewel in the crown. I mean, it was mm. it was probably the biggest crowd that it pulled of any. I mean, their street tracks were really solid but their ovals fell away and, yes. of course, they didn't have manufacturer money promoting it and pushing it and it kind of got to the point that, was it 07 was the last time that Champ Car existed because it all merged, taken over really, wasn't it, by the IRL? Yeah, and they had those brand-new panels cars cool that year cars. as well. Cool cars. Yeah. The, the DP01, I remember them well. Um, but still, you just think of the visceral sound. I mean, to see a Champ Car of the late 90s, early, even even into the mid-2000s, like they sounded cool, they looked mm. cool. Far out, they were fast. I mean, they were seriously impressive Bits of kit, and even when they rolled out those IRL cars in 08, they were good. But the car turbo cars, they were they were big stuff. Which is funny to think because the IRL cars were normally aspirated. So you think of what a normally aspirated engine normally sounds like compared to a turbo. You normally back the Mm. the non-turbo engine to sound better. But uh, yeah, yeah. no. But those champ cars, I, I even I love looking back at that era because they just were. Oh man, they were even in their. Cosworth detuned state when it was a control engine, they were still high 700 horsepower. Oh, yeah. But, you know, back in the, the manufacturer war era, they were 900 plus. Like they were little they were, hand grenades. Yeah, they were, they were full on. So they were amazing days, but obviously the event, the Gold Coast Indie thing changed. And, and then we had this situation where come 2008, well, I think we should backtrack here a couple of things. So, Love talking about indie cars. Love talking mm. about champ cars, and we probably should do it again at another time. But mm. um, I mean, some of the races. I mean, and there was weird shit that went on too. Oh, we love weird yeah. shit on these podcasts. Yeah, like ninety four. It finishes in the dark. Michael Andretti <laughs> wins. Remember that famous photo of him just two wheels with the in qualifying Reynard at the beach again. Yeah, um, and that race started two hours late because of oh, all this rain. Oh, it was just well, rain. It rained right at the start. And, or when they were going to start it, and there was, I think, they delayed it to change to wets, or various things happened. And because of the cart procedures being as being so um, rigid as they were, they kept having to delay. Like uh, they they right. tried to start the race another time, and then there was a multi car shunt. Then they red flagged it and restarted the start procedure, so they had to go fill up all the car. Anyway, they burnt two hours, and basically, then it ended up finishing in the, dark. in the dark. And I think Channel Nine had to do the whole. Sorry, we've got to go. Sorry, Queensland viewers. And, Off to Channel 9, National 9 years we and, go. And this is why, and I know our listeners hate time certain finishes, mm. but everything's got to have an end, and that's kind of why they exist. So this, you, well, the news, you, the you, news you, is the big, yeah. the big ad spinner But in for those them. days, you couldn't do the whole flick to the digital channel now to keep watching the race. Like, no, we'll show you highlights it. during the movie maybe. Yeah, if you remember to stay up late yeah. enough to watch. But. Although, funnily enough, that the full race vision is now on – IndyCar's YouTube channel. I think we did a story about it a couple of years ago. They mm. put it up and it had the Channel 9 commentary. So you can yeah, hear yeah. Big Daryl Eastlake, oh, Alan Jones and huge. Derek Daly. Huge, huge. Yeah. Kenny Sutcliffe hosting. Oh, I don't think they included poor Ken. He didn't get a run. No, no, no. The male model from Mudgee. Male model. <laughs> That's where yeah. I was going with it. Um, but awesome memories. And um, and once the race moved to October, you also got the flavour of the championship fight. Mm. So you, you And you had, you know, 
I mean, you had all the bigs before Penske left, Ganassi left, you know, Montoya on the rise, Frank Kitty. Um, he won for Barry Green yeah. in '98, and I, I know so many listeners about Potter go, Hang on, talk about V8s. We'll, we'll get there. This is we, we'll get there. We'll get <laughs> it's there. But we love talking about this stuff. Yeah. It's cool. Um, but it still had the aura of it all because don't forget that the majority of the crowd there are not racing hardcores. Lots an, of racing hardcores among the crowd, but it's an event crowd. Correct. It's a, it was so an event. Loud cars. Oh yeah, open wheelers. American IndyCar champ carry whatever it all smelt and felt the same to to a lot of people. So yeah. and then they had what the drag racing demonstrations yeah. late at night. I think yeah. they had yeah. like twilight races for like things like Carrera Cup and yeah, a few I other categories. Mid two thousands, they did that. Utes had a crack at one of them. Remember the there was a um, they did two years in a row. Honda backed it. It was a Young Guns oh, event yes. with one. It was a one mate race with I think twelve Honda Integra Type Rs mm. at the time, and there was some some young and famously Marcus Ambrose won the first one, having basically tested till his eyes <laughs> fell out um, to make sure because he knew that that might be a pathway to to something after that. So um, yeah, lots of great support categories and other things, and but the V eight element really rose. The champ car thing fell away, and even it, they had to patch together that last two thousand and eight mm. race because they weren't going to come because the merger happened early in that year. The calendar was set to finish where it was finishing, but um, there was I think it was a deal with the government still in Queensland, so they did a deal to run a non championship race. Mm. That um, I was actually lucky enough to commentate that for Channel Seven. Oh uh, yes, with Scott Pruitt, yeah. um, which was awesome. I did the pit lane the previous year um, and in 98, because the championship finished, that was Dario Franchitti's return to the championship or to IndyCar racing because oh, he'd been off doing yes. NASCAR for Chip Ganassi. Yeah, yeah. And he that was his debut with Ganassi because, of course, he'd been an Andretti guy and green prior to that. So anyway, interesting stuff, off the panels, into the Delara. But then after that, that was it. We're not coming back. Yeah. It's not going to work. So... A1 Grand Prix, the Nitro <laughs> Super GP, which is one of the greatest. I mean, that's a whole other pod on its own. But, yes. I mean, right up till a week, two, three weeks out from the event, there were still people adamant that it's, A1 it's Grand Prix is coming, these cars are Fetch coming, it's happen. all happening, it's not a problem, it's fine. But, of course, everyone in our industry is going, you guys are on absolute drugs. This ain't happening, that mm. thing's no go. And, of course, famously V8 supercars had to sort of step it up and run – Two two leg races to just fill the program up. Yeah, and they ended up being quite quite good races. I mean, you think of that, or well, it almost had a big championship impact on Jamie oh, Wincup that year. Yeah. yeah, he shunted right at the end of the first leg of the Sunday race, and then Triple Eight rapidly patched the car back together. Um, but it meant that he was down the back for the start of leg two, and. Um, the famous conversation that he and Roland Dane and Dutto, Mark Dutton had on the grid where Jamie says, oh, I think I'm just going to, you know, play it smart, bring the car home safe and not not be too silly about it. And Dutto says, mate, don't bother coming back if it's not in the top 10. <laughs> and, um, yeah, P6 at the end yeah, for Jamie. Got something out of it. That worked out okay. Well, we talked about weirdness and mm. along with that format being unusual, like two legs within a it's race. A pain in the ass for history Statistically, books. <laughs> yeah. It's right up there with Adelaide 1999. Mm, look, um, that's another pod. We've, we've actually done five spin-off pod <laughs> topics here to, yeah, to go and do. Let's write those ones mm, down. Mm. Um, if you remember the start of leg two on the Sunday. Is this when Ingle and Lowndes got together? It is. They yeah. got together 
and then at the, like, at the first chicane, lap one, turn one, and half the field cut the chicane. That's right. They did too. So they then threw a safety car and reordered the field back to grid order. That's right. But wasn't the oh what was the there was another blue though off the back of that though wasn't there because Ingle did Ingle get put back. Ingle got put back, but his car was like damaged, so he was in trouble anyway. But yeah, there were there were a lot of people well, wasn't not it that happy. Lowndes didn't get pinged for it or something. I think he eventually did. Yeah, I can't remember, but it was. I remember yeah. it being a bit of a brouhaha. Yeah, the the people who made gains were unhappy, but I think Tim Schenken said in the press afterwards, everyone was told this would happen mm. if that happened. We still always had those big issues at that track with chicanes that you can cut through. I yeah. do I do laugh um, every year. On socials around this time of year, you do read from fans and followers of the sport who say, oh, you know, go back to the the proper track, the full indie length track. Um, That can and will never happen because um, not because no one doesn't want to or there's there's red tape. No, there's a light rail line that runs down there now. You can't actually drive down there anyway. Yeah, it's not like Longford where you could just jump the tracks back in the 60s. Yeah, this this isn't going to happen, I'm afraid. No, no. Tell you what has happened a lot there, though, particularly in supercars, big shunts. Jason Bright's bone rattler in 04. When that was that weekend that Rick Kelly tagged him over at the back chicane. Rick had an uh, eventful weekend. Yeah, because that was the one that he got involved with Russell in the first race and then this one absolutely wall-banged Bridey over Mm. at the, the beach chicane. So that was a big one. Of course, there was the day that Dick Johnson and John Bow got together in 97 and uh, had a bit of inter-team uh, tiffing. Oh, yes, at the end of the back straight. Yep, not, not the only example of um, inter-team contact that I've had a quick look back through the results. In 01, Ambrose served up Bezzy coming onto the back straight. Oh, did he? Yeah, because <laughs> Ambrose had gotten stuck behind some other incident that occurred on the first lap. So he had the eyes on and was charging back through and um, his teammate wasn't quite going quickly enough for his liking. (laughs) So um, round he went. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. The non-championship ones tend to fall off the, the memory bank a bit, don't they? Because they were sort of, it was a bit like it was hitting giggle cricket. It wasn't the real stuff kind of thing. So it's it, was sort ex- of, it was expensive yeah, hitting yeah, giggle yeah. cricket. Well, luckily we weren't paying for the bills, that's for yeah. sure. But um, um, the V8 supercar, I mean, you know, that bright one, that was that was a that was a huge one. Um, was it ninety nine uh, with Ellery Tander and Lowndes yeah. that yeah that put the um, ninety six Bathurst winner to bed for a long time? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was um, on the exit of the first chicane. I can't remember second, second chicane. chicane. Yeah, and then poor Steve got hit by the medical car yeah, or the something. Of course, car or something yeah. cleaned him up on the way in, and then. Previously to that, 97 was when there was that big, huge nose-to-tail at one of the chicanes with Seaton and a bunch of blokes just Steve Richards, Steve Johnson. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was all messy as well. And it's always been the nature and the possibility of, of that track. But, yeah, there's been weirdness there over the years too. I mean... Oh, yeah, 2012. I, 
what was the 2012 one? Which two one? attempts to start the oh, race yeah, with cars going, yeah. Ricky Taylor rolling down the road in that GRM car. and Because um, I've got to say that I, I really did enjoy those Gold Coast International V8 races. Mm. What was it 2010 to 20? What was Whoa. last year we did that? That is a very good 12, question. 13? Yeah, it would be 2012 12. because it was Enduro Cup 2013. Yeah, so um, – I really enjoyed those because you got to see things that you would never see any other time. No. And you got – and this is one of my little things about the Gold Coast event, that it needs some froth. Like in the in those years when we had the international co-driver stuff, you had content and stories and build-up for a couple of months. Who's coming, who's not coming, who might be coming, who's been talked about, who's dropped out. Yeah. Um, then on great, the, oh, absolutely. Great names. Like there were some great names there that – no other way they would ever drive, let alone race a V8 no. supercar. Guys like Scott Dixon, Marco Andretti, Graham Rahal. Elio Castroneves. Dario, Dario Franchitti. Dario did it, yeah. Manuel yeah. Pi- and Manuel Piro uh, came out and raised one. Car Masters with the Manuel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, there was a great mix of drivers that you would never get, different nationalities, different backgrounds, and, and that's all gone. Like what is there in the lead up to a Gold Coast? Like we kind of get through Bathurst and then we go, oh, Gold Coast, and mm. it's on us. Whereas back then you actually had something for months in the lead up to actually build storylines and yeah. build awareness and build content and build, you know, our listeners on this podcast to get, you know, their brain into Gold Coast gear far earlier. It's just not there now without that sort of stuff. And then on the Tuesday that all be at, at QR. Yeah. Sampling the car. Yeah. Boxes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, there was but there were some great scenarios. I mean, Sebastian Bourdais clicked straight away, helped that he drove a triple eight car with, with Jamie Winkup. That definitely didn't hurt. I love the Mikasalo story of him driving with Will Davison oh, and yes. convincing the team to take the surfboard trophy, which um, teams are very much of the ownership of trophies in, in motorsport and mm. um, Mika managed to twist Tim Edwards' arm, I think, to, to get that one out the door. Um, uh, so you saw that, and I know from some of the V8 supercar drivers that they look back on that really fondly with some, I mean, I know Will Davison does with Mika Salo. How cool is it that they got to drive with guys that they you know would have grown up watching on TV and here they were sharing a car, winning a race, getting a trophy, doing whatever. It was really cool, and and I'd love to see us. I mean, that event, it really, I think it needs something. It might not be an international co-driver thing, but a co-driver thing, get back to another enduro. I know it costs a little bit more money to sign these blokes up for an extra weekend, but the other factor is as a championship and as a category, we all find ways, the teams find ways and the category finds ways to spend more money on more other things. So what's a little bit of something that's going to add to an event. That's true. That's a very good point. And especially, as you said, that whole ability, giving genuine storylines to help promote the event the event for months out in the lead up and then giving it that additional international reach that it, that the event was built on. It is like you remember you think back to was it 2018 that Team Penske sent one of their NASCARs mm-hmm. out yeah. and Scotty Mack and Fabs had a run around in it. Yeah, yeah. And then there are all those reports about Oh, maybe they're going to come, come and host a round out here. And yeah, no, uh, no. Never going to happen. No, which but, is a shame because that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, but that's the sort of big picture thinking that I just don't hmm. feel or see around anymore. Like, yeah. uh, okay, there's a lot of questions and possibilities as to why you couldn't have a NASCAR race here. But, you know, 
you got to think big. You got to think grand. You got to think different. I think sometimes, and um, that'd be great for the Gold Coast event to really put it back on the map with a, a real piece of identity that it's got something that no, you know, Adelaide doesn't have it. No, Albert Park doesn't have it. Nowhere else has got the sort of things that it's got and it can have. So otherwise, it's just another race meeting. It just happens to be downtown. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think the days, I mean, there's always the story of getting IndyCar to come back to the Gold Coast, which I think it'd still be suited to the, the shorter track. I think it would still be. I think it'd be probably fine. be better suited to the shorter yeah. track, to be honest. Yeah. Um, obviously, they've got this thing, though, when they want to finish their championship in the States in to September. Avoid, to avoid the NFL. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and it probably doesn't stack up financially at this end for someone to fund having them come. But, mm. I mean, outside of that, there's really no other international circus that you would, you know, pay to bring that would add to the wow factor. So you put the stars in our cars. I mean, I'd still be up for an enduro even if it was all the same drivers from Bathurst because it just adds a bit of factor to it all. And yeah. Like, is there an enduro cup anymore? Do we no. actually have one? No, no, no. Why don't we? Well, we, did, we only had one enduro there per year but, for a little but while. But we had two this year. That's true. I think I think Connor O'Brien, our website editor at V8 Sleuth, put together what the um, mm. Enduro Cup standings would have been. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was always I, – I liked the Enduro Cup because it gave another storyline at a time of the season when, okay, maybe the championship might have been almost done. Mm. And it's another sponsorship property too, which is always handy for very good a bit point. of commercial reasons as yes. well. But, yeah, there's been some great stuff on the Gold Coast over the years. We've just about tried every format, I think. Pit stop races, no pit stop races, mm. enduros, 300k co-driver races, 250k single driver races. Two-leg single driver 300k races. There's been a bit of everything. Yeah. So can't say that we haven't tried. Reverse grid? <laughs> no. Has there ever been a reverse no, grid here? Not in V8s. Mm. No, thank God. Could you imagine? Oh, my God be some serious damage going on around there. But wouldn't it have been entertaining? Oh, God. Not not if you're paying for it. <laughs> um, I have the really big memory too that whenever I go there um, every year where the track used to run down mm. past, you know, they turn left at what was the second chicane to hairpin it back alongside the beach. But if you kept going down there as the IndyCar track used to go down there the with a lot of railers corner. now, the old yeah. A&A corner, off to the right there's a big car park in there. That's where the supercar transporters used to live. That was yeah, the paddock. Right. That, that was where that where mini they, golf place is or yeah, the bungee there. thing? Yeah, near there. Yeah, not far from there. So there's all these little things that trigger as you wander around that facility year in, year out to, um, to think of some of the great memories of, of Gold Coast racing over the years. But, I mean, we've seen some, I mean, the, the weather though. I mean, <laughs> yes. so there was that year, was it 2018, that the Sunday race got just literally washed out. No, yeah. And, and come an hour later, it was all good. I remember yeah. walking back to the hotel, it was dry. Like, it was just <laughs> the weirdest day. Yeah. And 2002, absolutely oh, yep. bucketed. There was that massive Indy car, or champ car, I should say, uh, start line crash and the rolling start where cars just ploughed into one another. And I think Adrian Fernandez got injured and um, nothing terrible, but yeah, like, it was yeah. just madness. And then, and then they all ran the, around behind the safety car. And then they drove car. around behind yeah. the safety car to race to the rule book and Mario Dominguez, the Mexican driver, won the race, which the poor guy was, you know, panned for that. He just did what he, he had yeah, to do driving the car. It wasn't his fault. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, that was just a, that was just a dirty 
bad day. It wasn't good, was it? No, nah, just it was one of those days that makes motorsport to the non-fan look really shit. Like, yeah. This is what is this like? How can you have a winner out of all this? Where they, I think they raced for what two laps or something. If I can't that, remember. Yeah. And yeah, that was that was all no good, but. Yeah, weather's not been flashed there. When it turns to crap, it turns to crap really badly. I mean, city streets that are like coated in everyday rubber and oil and garbage Mm. with Mm. cambers and all sorts Mm. of things don't really go that well with race cars. No, but um, there are some things that go well around there. Is the move that Scott McLaughlin pulled up the inside of Mark Winterbottom in what, 2016? (laughs) 16, yes. At the end of... Oh, that short shoot up to that left hand or whatever turn number. I don't know the turn numbers. Yeah, but the run, the run out of the beach chicane down before turning yeah. off, turning back inland. Yeah, where he just bombed it, and the whole thing was four wheel drift locked up sideways. Frosty played the game and gave him some room. But yes. um, is there a better passing move in the history of the Gold Coast event than that one? It's funny because when I saw that, my thoughts instantly turned to the ninety two and ninety three IndyCar races where. Um, Emerson Fittipaldi in 92 mugged his teammate Rick Mears oh, the same way. At the first chicane? At, no, 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 at that same corner. Oh. Exactly the same move, two turning, two burning. Fully, um, fully said. Yeah, and then one year later, Nigel Mansell did the same thing to Emo, two oh. turning, two burning, <laughs> uh, except he did his under yellow, so oh. he ended up copping a penalty for it. Um, yeah. But he won. Yeah, because he could take his usual pit stop at the same time as the penalty. Oh, that wasn't a rule that you couldn't do that back then. Yes. Yeah, that was a bit of a sneaky one. Yeah. I do remember the day that um, Garth Tander and Cameron McConville won despite a 10-second hold penalty. Um, I think McConville jumped the start and they did the 10-second hold at the pit stop, which by that time that was a thing in in the championship and ended up um, coming home and winning it. And then Garth Wald the next day exiting the pits trying to race I think one of the GRM cars oh, out yes. and fight it straight in the wall. But, but wasn't um, that race a good one for the win on oh, the Sunday in 2010? 2010, what was that? That is Jamie versus oh, that's Shane, Shane and Jamie. Gisbergen. Yeah, that was Shane should have won that. Mm. He was too nice. He, he was too he nice. He learned the lesson though, didn't he? Yeah, I don't think he got mugged again like that. But, no. Um, that was a great finish. And, and at the time you would have never guessed they'd be teammates in the future. No. Because Shane was so entrenched with Stones who brought him in and – you could have never guessed he was going to drive at Triple Eight. What six years later, and two years later, the whole SBG mm. SBR thing was undone. Yeah, SBR yeah. was no more for that matter. Yeah. Oh, there's another pod. There you go. That's mm. six. I think we've just <laughs> tallied off today. Um, of course, that was the year that Jacques Villeneuve drove with Paul Dumbrell and absolutely lit it up when he got punted by Greg Ritter at the hairpin on the oh. first lap and, and all just three, sat there with yeah. the thing on the limiter, just fire and smoke. And I think he slapped Will Davison on the way by and he slapped someone else as the thing flicked back the other way. Literally and, oh all God. three FBR cars were out of oh, contention. Oh, because was in the wall the already, wasn't he? Well, because he, Yulden and Villeneuve had made contact at, team, at turn one. That's right. On the entry to the chicane. And then, yeah, by the time they got to the hairpin, Villeneuve went round and then, yeah, got collected by the number six FPR car. Because that first year there was one international driver across each two-car team. Mm. But if you're a single-car team, you had to have an international co-driver. Yeah. So Villeneuve was with Paul Dumbrell, but Luke Yulden was driving as he drove at Bathurst with Frosty. Mm. And was that when Will Power drove with Steve Richards? I feel like yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And, of course, there was that um, year in 2011 that – 
we had a, a bunch of international drivers not come yeah. because of the, the terrible accident at Las Vegas with Dan Weldon being killed, uh, who was going to come yeah. and drive for the Holden Racing Team with James Courtney and was replaced by Darren Turner, the Aston Martin um, factory driver, the British driver. But, you know, there was um, a Tony Canaan was, was going to drive for Brad Jones's team. Yep. Will um, Power was meant to drive for FPR but, of course, was injured, was injured in the crash. And was not in I a think state they had- to- Race. No, I think they had Richard Lyons come out and got a race win. Well, with he Frosty. did. He tra- yeah, yeah. I think I think if you look at the, the the vision and the photos, he's got a Steve Richards suit on. He, indeed, uh, he does. <laughs> you see that in our um, upcoming Tickford Racing oh, book. Nice plug. I yeah. like the way you did the segue there. Um, by the way, that Tickford Racing book on the history of all the cars from FPR Pro Drive Tickford um, due out end of November had a little update from the printer, so not far away with that one, which is pretty cool and. and I was up at Brad Jones's workshop in recent years. He's got like this cool storage room of all sorts of shit. And of course I rated it for all sorts of things to Natural, have a look yeah. through. They've got Tony Canaan's Jana Living suit there. Hey, which, that's cool. Which he never wore. Well, yeah. He never needed it because Alan Simonson replaced him yeah. um, for, for that round. Of course, geez, was it the next year that, that we lost Alan too? So, yeah, so plenty of stories of people who came to the Gold Coast and people who unfortunately um, weren't able to come. But it holds a really special place in Australian motor racing history. Street tracks, government-backed events tend to have a lifespan that government changes, council changes – that to last this long, it's impressive. Absolutely. Especially if you look back to those early years, just how shaky it was financially. I mean, oh, the it state was a, government was, was doing. It was a disaster. Like, if, if you recall, Alan Grice, the Broadwater MP. Federal member. What was the, the state member, state member yeah, for, for, for Broadwater. Broadwater. Yeah. Um, so the race honorable was in his member, Honorable member. Honorable member. Yeah. Yep. Um, the race was in his electorate, and he was part of the committee that was doing the big financial deep dive into the event. And um, for a long time, it looked like it would um, it would eventually have to have the plug pulled due to how much it was costing the state government. And in the end, IMG came along, mm. Tony Cochran came along and mm. helped turn it around. It's interesting too that that was the first, one of the very first events that started the era of Channel 10 as the home of motorsport in this country mm. because it was Channel 9 event from 91 to 95, yeah, and then Channel 10 took over for that 96 year. Of course, they, they got the V8 rights the next year. They got the bikes. They got the super bikes. They got super tourers. They got – They became and, the home of motorsport for quite a while there. everything until – except Formula 1 until 2003, I think it was. So, um, And Gold Coast was a big part of that, it was part of getting that all rolling in, mm. in 96 and then um, becoming part of that kind of – regular motorsport offering that that they had every year. So um, it's a cool event. Like it's cool that, yes, it's not quite what it used to be, but um, it's going to be a great championship fight. I love that we've got a fight on our hands for yeah. this year because how often have we been to the Gold Coast in the past and it's kind of been done or done-ish? Well, last year it was, it was done on the Saturday. Yeah. Shane, Shane Van Gisbergen secured the title with – his twentieth win of the season, and then Sounds went, right. yeah, yeah, and then went back and got the twenty first the next day. Yeah, and just did it easy. I mean, yeah. he, he smashed them. But we've got what one hundred and thirty one points between Brody and Shane. Yeah, so Brody can mathematically clinch it, it if if things were to go very badly for Shane on mm. Saturday and Sunday. Uh, one thing, one thing Brody can and maybe might be easier for him to secure is the pole champion award for this year. Yeah, so he's up by a couple over Will Brown by exactly four. So Will's got to get all four remaining on the table, correct? To even what tie it or to get up by 
to tie. To tie. To tie. Does he lose it on a countback? Uh, we haven't gone we'd that have far to look yet. at it. Yeah. We haven't that far. But support category wise, Porsche Carrera Cup, that's on the line. They're fighting hard for that title. Um, you've got the V8 Super Utes, which at last count, they've got a really solid field again. That's their final round. So there's a championship on the line there. And they've been good to watch around yeah, there the I've la- got to last say, year. I know we're, um, we're not a V8 Super Utes pod per se, but. Full props to the Cedars boys and to everybody involved in that category. I know that the some people online give it a hard time, but probably out of habit rather than having a look at what's going on. Mm. They've put regularly 20-ish cars on the track. They look good. They sound good. There's a mixture of them. They race pretty good. Um, they've done a really good job. And if you look at some of the other categories and their field sizes and and stuff like that, they've done a nice commercial job of that whole scenario. And there's some... Um, some more news coming in Super Utes in the next day or two after this pod drops that's good news for them as well. So um, full props to them. They've done a really good job. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to quickly mention at the back end of this pod before we leave, sports sedans. Oh, yes. Back on the Gold Coast for the first time since 1997. I had to go right through the old (laughs) magazines to find that back to the days of I think the wins were split between Mick Monterosso's Escort what a uh, car. Yeah, and Kerry Bailey's Supra. Also, what a car. Who, don't think he finished the first race, started 28th and won the second race. <laughs> I think it, was a, it wasn't a round of the championship or anything like that. It was just a sports event support weekend. Yeah. But uh, that's another category that I, I tell you what, they've done a really good job there. Um, mm. Running at Bathurst, 30-plus cars. They've got a, a, a max capacity field of 32 for the Gold Coast. And you know what? When you've got categories these days, pretty much every category is one make or same. Mm. Like you can't say that about sports. You can't events. say that about sports events. There's kind of anything and everything. So yeah. rotaries, big cars, small cars, yep. space frame cars. Yep, yep. Um, you know, state series runners, national series competitors. Um, it's a really good blend, and I'm looking forward to seeing them on the Gold Coast to turn back the clock of history because it's been a while since that category's gone for a a run around the streets of Surface Paradise. So that's going to be a whole pile of fun this weekend as well. So, yeah, three support categories, two lots of 250Ks of supercars. Um, James Moffat is, of course, out of co-driving. Enduros are over, but he's back with me. So we're SEN radioing. But for the first time this year, we're going to be together on site for two days. Well, well. He'll be sick of me by the end of Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> It'll um, be like the commentator in Duro Cup. Yeah, exactly. We're going to do the shootout and the race each day on SCN around the country. So uh, tune in on the app if you want to keep in touch with uh, the Mothman and I doing our thing. But um, Gold Coast, as we depart and get ready for a, a big weekend of, of racing at Surface Paradise, what's your favourite Gold Coast race from over the journey? Ooh. There's so many. So uh, so. Kind of have to, I kind of have to declare my, my um, allegiance as being a Paul Tracy fan from mm. back in the day. So 95, 95 ranks up quite highly um, and full credit to Michael Andretti for his drive that day with only fourth, fifth and sixth left in the gearbox <laughs> to almost right. get second. Right. Um, the 92 race I, I always enjoyed as well um, with the with a massive downpour in the middle and the battle between the Penske pair to the end. 
Um, in terms of supercars races, it's hard to go past that 2010 Sunday race. That was an absolute yeah, screamer right on. to the end. Yeah, that was pretty good. I, I enjoyed that one too. I, I did like the David Reynolds uh, podium 2013 celebration. I don't think I don't think Dean Canto enjoyed it as no, much no, as he, Dave did. He, he's still nursing an injury from it. But uh, uh, yeah, there's been plenty of good memory. and there's probably a pile of stuff that we haven't even touched on in this pod. And you could do five pods about this yeah. topic with such an event that goes back over the course of basically three decades. It's it's pretty cool, all things considered. So I hope you enjoy this look back at the history of Gold Coast and Surface Paradise uh, racing, Indy cars, Champ cars, Kart, Supercars, V8 Supercars, 5-litre touring cars, Group A touring cars. We even wheeled in Thunder Sports, NASCARs, Oscars and Pro-Am Celeb Racing. So Anywhere uh, you can fit in Tina Arena and Young MC <laughs> and Vince Neil, who got lead singer of Motley Crue, <laughs> that got hedged on the last lap of the 92 race by Brian Thompson at the beach chicane. (laughs) What other race could you say that happened? There are a lot of other Australian motorsport podcasts out there. We think we've got a good one, (laughs) but I challenge them all Uh, to link Brian Thompson and Vince Neil together in one in future. There's the challenge for everybody out there. <laughs> Let's see if you can match that. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed this pod. Uh, next week on the pod, Will, we should plug what's coming next week because I think that's a good idea. Yes, we really should. And it's, I don't want to call him a quiet achiever of Australian motorsport. But I think that's right. Because he's he's won quite a bit. He's been in the, category, in the top of the Australian motorsport food chain for quite a while, but... I don't really know much about him. Well, we're going to change that. And there's a nice Gold Coast link because he is a former Gold Coast V8 Supercar race winner. Mm. Steve Owen is on the pod for the next two weeks with a great two-part episode and you'll learn so much about the guy who is sort of an enigma of Australian motor racing. He's been around a long time, but as you said, not many people know a great deal about Steve and I sat down with him recently and he opened up about a whole pile of stuff because he's, I think he's one of those guys... He'll tell you if you ask, but not many people ask. Yeah. So I asked a lot of stuff. And you got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of stuff. So next week, the week after, Steve Owen on the V8 Smith Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. Hope you can join us for that one. Don't forget to join Will and Steph every Tuesday for Castrol. Motorsport News Podcast as well. Repco Supercars Weekly every week as well. We'll chat again with you soon. Enjoy the Boost Mobile Gold Coast. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out.